Welcome back to The Hedge, everyone. I'm Steve Inman with The Game Day. Some great guests up ahead. We'll be joined by Miami Heat insider Ira Winderman, along with Game of Zones co-founder Adam Malamut. First up, it's Ira. Ira, how are we today? Well, I'm doing good enough. I, I haven't been in Game of Zones like uh, Mark Stein and Howard Beck and the others, but uh, as a secondary character, doing good enough. So no animation here, although I might get animated. Hey, I mean, it's still early. He might do another cartoon at some point. It'll be really great to see you there. Sure, if they, have, if they have the old hacks after 30 years, I'm the guy to call. Oh, come on. It seems like a lifetime ago, but I want to talk about this NBA trade deadline. Victor Oladipo sure. is a member of the Heat. He makes his debut Thursday. He was in a little bit of foul trouble, but uh, overall, they, you know, they win the game and that's all that matters. How do you feel about that trade? You know, Steve, so many times people look at a trade and, and, and they go, who won the trade? And we all know most trades are even on both sides. It's not your talk show trades. It's not we're going to give them a sack of potatoes and we're going to wind up a check, you know, or someone like that. And yet when you look at this trade and you see the Heat gave up Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley wasn't playing, and a, a convoluted first round draft pick swap next year that I think will push the Heat maybe 10 spots down in the 2022 first round there there was nothing at risk here. It, it was, yes, it might only be a rental. Victor's a free agent after the season. But when you look at to get a former all-star player, an all-NBA quality first, second, or third team player like that for almost right. nothing, the risk ratio was so low that it, it really was, you know, to use the vernacular, a slam dunk for the Heat. They risked almost nothing. They'll survive without Kelly Olenek. Avery Bradley played 11 games. He had the calf injury. He had COVID. He barely showed up. I can't recall many trades. You know, even you can argue about Denver's trade for Aaron Gordon and how they got a steal, but they gave up something tangible. You look at the teams that gave up stockpiles of draft choices. The Heat took a flyer, and I think they got a player that could be the difference during the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not sure what Houston was thinking here. Remember, they could have had Karis LeVert. They chose yeah. Victor Oladipo instead, and then they give him away for nothing. It kind of is a head scratcher there, but the Heat benefit, and obviously his play will be a factor in terms of, you mentioned him being a rental, but do you see the Heat right now looking at him like he's in their long-term plans? No. I'd like to say yes and sort of have the warm and fuzzies and move on from there. But, you know, it, it, this very much was a we need to take a look at a guy who's been injured a lot and is not the same player since his last injury, but has been trending back in the right direction. And yet the Heat, all their machinations, they still protected their offseason cap space. In other words, they didn't take in more money on long term years. They've been very careful about that. If you remember going back to last offseason, Jay Crowder was terrific for them in the bubble, was a difference maker, really, in getting them to the NBA Finals, and yet they only offered him one year, and he walked, and he went to the Suns, and we've seen how good he was because they wanted to protect their 2021 offseason. At the time, the thought was, well, they're going to get Giannis, then he resigned. But here's what's fascinating. Yeah. The Heat would have made a play for Kyle Lowry if they could have, but Masai was asking too much in Toronto. They didn't want to give up Tyler Hero. And yet, if it doesn't work out with Victor Oladipo, the Heat will have up to $28 million, which I would think for 35-year-old Kyle Lowry would be enough. You can go get enough. him in the offseason. Yeah, and they can move anyway and not give up Duncan Robinson, not give up Tyler Hero. So I think basically it's kind of odd. They're not teammates. And yet, in a way, Victor Oladipo is sort of competing against the shadow of Kyle Lowry, where every game he plays, the Heat are going to go, or should we spend this on Kyle? So – Lots of pressure for Victor Oladipo. He's been sort of uneven in his career in pressure situations. So he's on a tryout right now where two good months could make him a bunch of money or leave him out in the street. 
Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. I'd be curious if a Kyle Lowry stays in Toronto, who's that plan B besides for Victor Oladipo? Is it maybe a Bradley Beal? Obviously, Bradley Beal would look amazing in a Miami Heat uniform. They have the trade pieces you mentioned, Hero, to go out and get a Beal if he winds up becoming available. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. There'll still be enough on the free agent market. There'll be enough shooting guards there. And again, what's really interesting is if they keep Victor Oladipo, and this is why they made the trade, they got his bird rights which means they can play over the cap so they could bring back Goran Dragic. They could bring back Andre Iguodala. They could use their exception money for the power forward they're lacking right now. They could bring back Nemanja. They could really sort of bring back the whole team. They are hoping it succeeds with Victor. It's the easier path. If it works with Victor, you simply re-up him and you move forward. You go into free agency, as we've seen in other years, you might think you're getting player A, and then all of a sudden, what do you mean LaMarcus Aldridge is signing with the Nets? Yeah. So things change when you take that risk. They want to make this work with Victor. Victor wants to make this work, but you know, it's always about the fit. And ultimately everyone says it comes down to Pat Riley, but I'm going to be honest with you. It comes down to Jimmy Butler. Everything that's done here is to keep Jimmy Butler happy. He's sort of the piece. And this is what Jimmy wanted. Remember in his career in Chicago, he was a number two, at least to Derek Rose and right, right behind Luol Dang and Joakim Noah. Then you go to Minnesota. He clearly was a number two and not happy about it to Carl Anthony Towns. Then the unevenness in Philadelphia behind Ben Simmons, behind Joel Embiid. Jimmy Butler has been waiting a career to have his team. So really, when you ask what will it take for it to work with Victor Oladipo, it'll take making it work with Jimmy Butler. That is really fascinating right there. And, you know, Jimmy and the Heat shocked the NBA world last summer with their run to the finals. Now that they have Oladipo, are they good enough to gain some momentum and do it again? Ah, that's interesting how you phrase that. Can they gain momentum? Absolutely. We've seen momentum without him. They had a stretch. They won 11 yeah. to 12 games, had the four-game losing streak, came back, got back on the right track. So, But momentum to what? In other words, what's the ultimate goal? Because when you look in the East, there's a big three, and I'm not talking about the Nets roster. I'm talking about Brooklyn. I'm talking about Philadelphia. I'm talking about Milwaukee. They're the class of the conference. So what did the Heat consider a good season? Is it getting in that 4-5 first round? Is it advancing to the second round? with? A I think it's getting chance? back to the finals. You got to the finals. The goal yeah. is to get back there again. You know, except here's the difference. Is the East is different this year because of that big three in Brooklyn. You didn't have that last season. You had a lot of question marks. You had a, a Giannis team with a one-two of Chris Middleton, but no number three like Drew Holiday they have now. You had a Philadelphia team, one with Simmons injured in the playoffs, but even before that, they didn't have the shooting they have now with Seth Curry and with Danny Green. So they're a better team now also. So you have three teams now at the top. I would put it this way. Last season's Heat team, as dynamic as they were and the role they got on in beating Indiana and Milwaukee and Boston, I don't think they could have had the same kind of role against the teams this year. And remember also, these are going to be road games. These will be in front of at least some fans. It won't be the perfect Heat bubble world where all you have to do is eat, drink, and sleep basketball, and there's nothing else to get in the way. No chicken wings in Atlanta, no road trips. Life was a lot easier for them. The East is a lot different now. And so do you bang your head against the wall of the big three in Brooklyn? Or do you wait and see how that plays out like teams did when the Heat had their big three and then say, okay, we're targeting this date, this year to make our run. I'm really curious to see how that plays out with all the second tier in the East, the Heat, the Pacers, the Celtics, Charlotte, teams like that. 
I'd be surprised if Brooklyn did not come out of the East, but it does seem like there is an opening for Miami, right? Like Kevin Durant's hurt. You're not sure if Kyrie Irving is going to be 100% in it when it comes to the playoffs. You know, Giannis, you know, Giannis is a, a guy who has had some playoff troubles, especially against the Miami Heat last year. And then Joel Embiid is hurt. So is it crazy to think at, you know, plus a thousand to come out of the East? It's not the worst bet considering how things are a little uneven for those contenders at the very moment. You know, I would put it that way. That's a wager based on the medical report. So yeah. it's almost like, you know, it's like I'm not a doctor and I'm not playing one on this podcast either. But that's what it really comes down to is it comes down to health. Harden's been pretty robust when he's happy. He's out there all the time. Right. KD has been a real issue. And again, he had those two major issues, injuries with the Warriors, not just one. So you have those concerns going on. And Kyrie it's almost like you got to talk to a psychologist also and see where his head is. You know, is he going to be running off to some Indian reservation? Is he going to be too busy spreading incense before a game somewhere oh, and getting kicked back by an usher, kicked out by an usher? That's the thing is so the Nets based on talent, I think if everyone's there, they're unbeatable for the simple reason. The NBA has changed. You don't win with defense anymore. You win with offense. This is Mike D'Antoni's dream setting going back to his days you know, with the seven seconds or less or whatever the yeah. number was, Phoenix Suns in those days, the Nets, if they win a championship, are going to win by scoring 130, 140, maybe right. even 150 in playoff games. And that's the one thing when you look at the Heat. I mean, you've seen it just in the past week. I mean, they go to New York, they win a game scoring under 90. They go to Indiana, they win scoring under 100. They've won four games this season scoring under 100. Half the league hasn't won one game like that. So if the scoring is up in the playoffs, no, it's not good for the Heat. If other teams are shorthanded, then maybe. I don't say last year's a fluke. In last season's setting, the Heat were fine. But last season's setting is not coming back. I think that's a great point. I would just leave it at this. You know, at this time last year, we didn't really see the Heat as a finals contender either, right? Like we said, oh, there's, you know, there's Milwaukee and Boston and all these other contenders. And now all of a sudden it's, I'm not saying it's, wide open but the door is slightly ajar for but not as open but not, not as, as open, open. Those teams got better and really because of what the heat did milwaukee went out and said you know what we need to get drew holiday yeah. forget about our future draft so they got bolstered philadelphia said you know what we need to get spacing on this team it had to be more than just you know just one outside shooter so they got seth curry and they got danny green so they're a different team and the nets are completely different remember they didn't have kd last season let alone having Harden. So now they inject two into the mix there. And if Kyrie cares, it's different. I will say this. I do wonder about playoff Kyrie Irving. Me he too. can be so good and he can be such a distraction also. Yes, alongside LeBron, he won a championship. And you could argue, argue that he made the shot that won a championship. But still, I need to see more sustained Kyrie before I put him into one of those playoff guarantee kind of guys. I think you're totally right. The East is way better than it was last year. But uh, let's move on for a second. I want to call it as it is the quote unquote Florida man. Ira, you're in Florida. It's been part of the American culture for the last couple of years. It's all over social media. Do you have any good Florida man stories for us? Well, I mean, just when you cover a team for 33 years, you sort of see it all. And I've sort of seen it all for the heat. I have actually a Florida man you might have heard of. I don't know okay. if you've heard this name, so I'll throw it at you. Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, we've heard Shaquille of him. Shaquille O'Neal. He was such a kid and always has been such a kid. When he was with the Miami Heat, he was a big wrestling guy. As you know, he's, he's yes. gotten back in the ring and done some stuff also. He loved nothing more than to wrestle naked in the locker room. Now, we know what Shaq looks like. 
So strip the clothes off of him in that TNT set and take a look at that. And he would pin guys on the carpet, on the Heat logo, out of nowhere. There was no top rope, thankfully. But that's who Shaq was. Shaq was constantly just toying and teasing his teammates uh, when Goran Dragic got here. He spoke for years about how when he was in Phoenix together with Shaq, yeah. Shaq would, of course, make him carry his keyboard. As a rookie, you carry a keyboard. Well, then we find out after the fact, of course, that one, Shaq doesn't play the keyboard. Two, the keyboard didn't work. But hey, that's what you got to do with the kids. That's who Shaq was. And then he told this story recently, also on another podcast, but his classic moment, the Icy Hot story, where he's all of a sudden trying to promote his new product and he has a thigh injury. And the heat trainers are very good and they've been there for a while and they tell him what to use and what not to use. But of course, hey, if you're going to pitch a product, you got to use the product except he got his icy hot a little bit too close to the parts you don't necessarily want to make icy or hot. So if you can imagine sort of a Shaq with ants in his pants also in the locker room, but he was sort of the quintessential guy of, he was gonna play by his rules. He was gonna play by Florida rules. I mean, one other thing here really quickly, yeah. if you remember Stan Van Gundy coached him in the Eastern Conference Finals the right. year after they had sort of a coming apart, Pat Riley took over. And I remember back when the Pistons were playing at the Palace of Auburn Hills to get from the media room to courtside, you'd have to go back past the Heat locker room. And so Stan Van Gundy, who was a very good motivator, had just told his guys in the locker room, we've got to come out from the start. We've got to punch them in the nose. We've got to make a statement. They've got a bunch of tough guys and we've got to set the tone. And then, as you know, coaches will go off on their own to their office and do their stuff. So I'm walking by, Shaq has all the guys huddled around. I, another player told me that's what Stan's approach was going to be. Shaq pulls all the guys together. He goes, okay, let's just take it easy in the first half. Don't worry about it. We'll come out. We'll get him in the second half. And with that, they basically mosey through the first half and won the game in the second oh, half. that's amazing. And it just showed you for all the stands rah-rah, and he was very good at it, it eventually took someone like Pat Riley to stick his head under that water in the locker room, none, no less in Detroit, to sort of motivate his guys to get him going. But, but I mean, Shaq was sort of like no one else. And the other one I'll give you, yeah. which is more Florida man type of thing. I'm not going to use the name because well, the guy's still around. It was very early in the Heat's tenure. They had a, a center power forward, very good rebounder, sort of a, a, a simple sort of player, shall we say. Okay. Uh, one time we have what they call a metro rail here in Miami, sort of their loose sub, sort of subway system, on more of a rail system. And one day he hopped on the train and, and took the, the metro rail into the arena because there was traffic, except after the game, he turns around the locker room and he goes, I have no idea what stop I got off at and parked my car. And the heat literally had to drive him to each Metro rail oh. station until he could find his car after the game. The same player, and again, God bless him, very good person. He had, he had in the off season, he had been ill and he took some drugs and, uh, not drugs, medications, I'm sorry. And, and when you report to camp, you have to tell a team what medications you're on, obviously, because right. of concerns of interactions. And so they go through the list and he goes, oh, and I'm also on the G stuff. And they're like, G stuff. And they go through their sports medicine medications and they read a whole list. And he goes, no, no, that's not that. And they go, okay, do you have any other symptoms, a cold or something? Maybe he was over the counter and they go through some other G stuff. Finally, about half an hour, and this is a very simple form. Every player in the yeah. NBA fills this out. They look at him and he goes, oh yeah, I remember the name of the drug now. I was taking generic. That's what they had to deal with. Again, a good guy, but sometimes the simplest things become the most complex. But a good bunch of guys here, but enough enough to keep you on your toes. Oh, oh, one more then. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't want to go, go No, much. go ahead. One, 
this I just remembered, this actually goes back to Naked Shack, and this might beat Naked Shack. You're a little bit young. You probably remember the name. Do you remember the name Dwayne Pearl Washington? I do. Played for Syracuse, great ball handler. Never the player in the pros. He was in college. Uh, Health health problems after that, you know. Um, So he's playing for the Heat in a game against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, The Suns had a very physical power forward, Armand Gilliam. And they play in this game and both players get ejected. This was back in the day before, as I'm sure you've been to games, of Uber security, where there's a security guard at every turn. So they're playing the game. These two guys are banished to the locker room to shower. Only Armand Gilliam didn't take well to what Pearl had done to him. He walks out of the Suns locker room, walks into the Heat locker room while Dwayne Pearl Washington is showering. Now, Dwayne was not the prototypic Heat bodybuilder look. This was before Pat Riley. He was sort of penguin-esque in build or whatever. <laughs> and Armand Gilliam cold cocks him in the shower. Well, Pearl's not putting up with that. Pearl, dripping wet, comes running out of the locker room, totally butt naked, running down the hallway, and was seen by security guards chasing Armand Gilliam. And they literally had to restrain this sort of out of shape, uh, just about to be out of the NBA point guard from going against him. So apparently um, there is a certain uh, sort of a clothes-free zone when it's come to heat the heat over the years. That is amazing right there. Thank you for those, Ira. We could talk to you about those all day, but uh, really appreciate your time here on The Hedge. Is there anything we could plug for you before we wrap up the show? No, just the Twitter handle is Ira Heatbeat. I'm also heard five times a week on onsideradio.com if you want to listen to it there. But mostly uh, after 33 years, I'm just sort of always here. So probably if you turn on your Zoom cameras, folks, anywhere, I'll probably be on the other side when it comes to the heat. Love it, Ira. We will talk to you again for the Miami Heat playoffs. Hopefully we'll get a long run here. I know you're not really believing that they're going to go all the way to the finals, but at least they'll go somewhere and we'll talk to you then. Uh, Between then and now, I'll just keep chasing naked players down hallways. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear that. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Adam Malamut, the Game of Zones creator, about what his next project's going to be. It's Adam Malamut, co-creator of Game of Zones. Adam, how are you? Oh, man, I am hanging in there, uh, grinding on on some secret projects for my home in uh, New Jersey. Oh, this is very exciting stuff. Can't wait to talk. So... The thing about Game of Zones that stuck with me was how accurate you guys were in calling things that would eventually happen, like my Knicks losing Porzingis or Kyrie becoming the quote-unquote disruptor in the bubble. Mm-hmm. How did you guys make one of the most unpredictable sports leagues, well, predictable? Uh, well, two things mainly. One is we spent a lot of time developing an AI algorithm that would predict uh, human behavior. And so we applied that to NBA players. And also I had my brother plant listening devices in all the front offices. So we have it all covered. No, uh, uh, truthfully, uh, we did get some things right, but we actually got a lot of things pretty wrong too. And I think there's a little bit of bias where people like are like, whoa, like this, they predicted this, they predicted this. But like, thankful, I, I was actually just watching some episodes recently. It's interesting to watch them from a distance because I don't, you know, you're so inside stuff when yeah. you're making it. And, uh, and you see stuff like we had um, Paul George going to the Lakers uh, after the Thunder. And we had uh, this, like, you know, we ended a season on the Celt- declaring the Celtics the Spurs of the East. And that was like right before the Kyrie meltdown and everything going on now. And they're like so far, they have so much drama. They're like, be- have become the antithesis of that. So uh, definitely a lot of things we get wrong, but um, but we do get some things right. And I think that's just people just notice those things more. I saw in a previous interview you did where you said it took about six weeks to make mm-hmm. each episode. What was your favorite episode to make? 
Well, so there's, you know, so that's an interesting question because, um, because a lot of, you know, there's my favorite episodes to watch. And like, those include, I think similar to everyone else's, uh, I like the Raptors trade episode is one of the classics. That's my favorite like, one. Yeah. That's, that's, favorite a, that's, one. that's, that's a good one. Um, I like the Bucks one with Giannis with Jason Kidd, uh, getting fired. Um, and then him discovering all this old stuff with the Bucks. Uh, I, I love the whole last season because it's, I consider it one episode because it's a, a cohesive story. That was a really hard thing to pull off. And that was an interesting swing for us. Uh, but as far as making them, I, honestly, every single episode is stressful. Like every single one is stressful because no matter what, how silly the content is, my brother and I are, are intense perfectionists and I'm like even more of a perfectionist. So the process is usually stressful and usually involves like everyone on the production being like, you need to have this script done. And I'm like, it's not ready. It's not funny. It's stupid. It needs more. And then, and then it moves to the audio stage, which is more my brother. And he is very meticulous cutting the audio. And then when I tell him, when he plays it for me and I tell him, it's just not working for me. It's like, we have a meltdown. That's always a meltdown, but there are parts of the pro. So it's, I, you know, as far as like episodes to make, I would say that like the Raptors one, um, the triple Dirks was like one that like, Oh, that's so good. Thanks. And that one was pretty smooth sailing. Um, but it's really about the part of the process that we enjoy most. And for, for I think both my brother and me, that is after we record the audio and we have the audio locked, we give it off to this guy, uh, Hal Lee, who's like this incredibly talented artist. And he would do the animatics, which are essentially animated storyboards. And that's the first part of the process where we hand it off to someone else creative and let, and they give it back to us and we get to see it, like what he was envisioning with the audio. And that like, it's always really fun for Craig and I to watch. That can be a frustrating part of the process when someone who's not as talented is doing it and it's like totally wrong, but he always elevated it. And it was our first chance to like watch the episode and see what it might look like and how he envisioned things. So that would, I would, I would say I can answer the question better as far as like the part of the process rather than the actual episode. So I'm sure you're asked this all the time since the show ended, but could you see yourself doing a new sports animated series again in the near future? Uh, in the words of the great Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. And uh, I speak that louder, but I don't want to scream into the mic because, you know, we got the levels real nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, anything is possible. Right now, we're trying to see if the things that we've learned over the course of working at Bleach Report and even before that on Sports Friends, if all this stuff we've done translates to a more broader audience. And so, uh, you know, right now we want to, we learned all these techniques. We think we're just good at making cartoons and we see cartoons on TV and we're like, we can do better than that. So we want to at least try that and, you know, we'll, we'll, and we'll see what happens, but it's all, I'm always open to coming back to sports cartoons. It's where, there, where there had to be something butter. within the last couple months, the year where you're like, this would have made a great game of zone episode in the NBA. Yeah. We, you know, weirdly, um, the one thing that was so minor, but like was so funny to me was like recently, and I, I haven't fully delved into this, but like, uh, like Lonzo put out a statement that was like, I like playing for the Pelicans. I just don't like New Orleans. It was something along <laughs> those lines. That's and good. Like that, I feel like that is a funny setup for comedy. It's like making him like defend that statement in front of like the fans or someone. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. I feel like we, you know, we still haven't properly milked, uh, Rudy Gobert being like a COVID vector and laughing about it. That was, that's like, we touched on it like the last, um, in the last season, but we, we I feel like we did the more to explore there. Like definitely uh, the, like James Harden getting fat and then getting traded to the Brooklyn Nets like that was kind of content there, you know, like him being like, my training is I eat 12 ice creams a day. Something like that. Uh, I'm training to be traded. Uh, so that could be, that could be also, 
I always love a good Celtics collapse. Like that is mm, as a Sixers fan. Mm. Uh, and then uh, I also liked um, when uh, Kyle Lowry basically said goodbye to Toronto and then like didn't get traded. That that could be funny. Uh, and also Daryl Morey coming to the Sixers is interesting and kind of taking over the, the remains of the process. And also the Jazz getting picked last for the All-Star game was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> There's and, so many to uh, choose from. There's so many. Also, you know, the Knicks, Tibbs, like, like, the, like, you know, usually the more fun stuff is when things are a disaster, but like, the, you know, Tibbs getting the Knicks together is kind of fun. So uh, that, that could be, that could be interesting. They're, they're an interesting scrappy team. Speaking of your Sixers, you know, they're putting together their best regular season in the process era. Do you like their chances against the, you know, the Nets and the Bucks? Well, okay. So my head says that if everyone's healthy, I do like they're, they're, they're so good. They're such a good team. Doc has them playing at a different level. Like I, you watch them this year. It's just like, you feel like something's different, but like, I'm still like, my heart is still like rattled from the Kawhi shot. And so I like, I'm expecting, I, I can't say, Oh yeah, no problem. Like I expect heartbreak. Yeah. You know, and as with any, unless you're a Patriots fan, like that's what everyone I think comes to expect. So um, I, I, I will say like, I think they have a chance, but like, I never like any of my favorite team's chances. No, I get it. I'm the same yeah. way for sure. Do you think like they should have traded Maxi in a first for, uh, for Lowry? Or you think they're good the way they are? No, I mean, so I really like Maxi. Like he just like to the, to my like eye, which is very not ex- expert. Like I, I, he just looks really good. Like he just has yeah. like this like body control that like, and, and this, poise that like i think he, he's got a lot of potential and i i'm not a person who generally likes to mortgage away the future for like one shot because then it puts it's not fun you put a ton of pressure on that year all these things i remember the phillies did that with like uh getting all this pitch like with that whole roster with ruben amaro and like then it was like they had to win and like that just the, the loss against oh, Walton halliday and all those guys all yeah. those guys and like and like it was awesome but then like they had mortgage their entire farm system and then they just like then i found they're unwatchable for like you know the next 10 years yeah. until like now maybe but like i mean i haven't watched them i'm like maybe i'll watch the phillies anyway that's the tan- a tangent to say i like having players you can watch develop that gives me joy over the seasons and so and especially like maxi and then thigh bowl like his defense is like a superpower and I want him in the playoffs and I also, and I like him in the rotation, but overall, I just think they were asking too much. Like they want, it was like Thibel and Maxi and two first. I'm just like, I, I, that would have been, that would have put so much pressure on this season and maybe next season. Um, and, and I like Kyle Lowry as a player, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't love trading. I I'm like a big, once people get over the hill in basketball, like it just like, I make me nervous. Like any moment they're going to just, their numbers are just going to go through the floor. So I'm yeah, happy with, I I agree I'm with you. With for George sure. Hill, very happy. Yeah, with George. I was going to say George Hill is a great you know consolation prize here, and you know what? If it doesn't work out, you could always do a sign and trade with Toronto and get Kyle Lowry in the summer right. anyway. So yeah, I really yeah. believe that could work out. And Philly to me looks like they could match up pretty well with everyone but Brooklyn. I mean, I don't know how they deal with that uh that powerhouse over there, but I think they well, have Brooklyn, a pretty decent I, I chance. Think, I don't think anyone has an answer for Embiid. He's his own thing. And so like Brooklyn has to figure that out. I mean, what are they going to do? Who's going to, who's going to match up against Embiid there, you know? So I do think they're going to like score 180 points, but like, um, but you know, even with the Sixers defense, but, uh, but we'll see, we'll see. Adam, thank you so, so much. Is there anything we could plug for you before we wrap up the show? 
I need everybody to go down to Twitter and follow at Mutsack, which is my handle. I make really dumb tweets that are mainly about stupid things and have nothing to do with sports. And also the Sixers and really deep Sixers cuts. So uh, if you're into stupid things and deep cup Sixers and Eagles tweets, follow at Mutsack. That's awesome. all I got. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. And that's going to do it for us here on The Hedge. A special thanks to Adam Malamut. Remember to follow The Game Day on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we will see you next week.